Welcome to the Apple of Truth, our weekly podcast where we cover every single episode of Lucifer while celebrating the great parts, pointing out the bad parts, and answering questions you never even knew you had. I'm Lena. And I'm Vero. And we can't wait to share our love and hate for your favorite characters. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 9, Family Dinner. Which, by the way, in German has a different title. Ooh, does it now? It's closer to a Last Supper than a Family Dinner. Ooh, that's actually pretty smart. Right, which I actually kind of like. Yeah, shockingly good job for the Germans this time. It's a rare win, rare win for the Germans. But before we actually get into today's episode, we have to welcome a new heathen to our Patreon. Welcome, Julie! Thank you so very much for joining and we will see you over at the Discord, which we have already seen you join. So yay, if you want to be like Julie and talk to us at Discord and get other stuff from this fun exchange, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and join there for as little as one euro per month. We would appreciate it. We would love you for it. And, you know, they are our favorite people. Not gonna lie. We don't say it enough, but they are. We don't say it nearly enough, but we love you guys. Thank you so much. But sadly, the worst kind of people are now in this episode. Because today's episode, that is here. Family is hell and our hearts are put through the ringer with Chloe and Lucifer's relationship being once again on rocky ground and Ella suffering from having been with a serial killer. Pain. This episode was extremely painful. And good. It was very, very good. And we can just slide right into the obsession of the week. I hope that we have the same one. I went with a very simple one. It is family. And it's a win! Yes! Finally. Which puts us at four out of nine, which, spoiler, is a better ratio than Lucifer saying the title. Because let's head over into the facts and funs. The title is said by God, which gives us three out of nine episodes, title being said by Lucifer. We have ninth time director Nathan Hope returning. His previous episode was Our Mojo. He has two more episodes to come. We have, obviously, 14th time writer Joe Henderson returning. Who else could hurt us this well and make us love it this much? His previous episode was Detective Amenadiel. Three more episodes to come. Some additional facts and funs for you lovely people. John Glover, who plays Peter Peterson, himself played the devil during the run of a very short-lived TV series Brimstone in 1998, which I found hilarious because I know John Glover from many other films didn't know that TV show. So yeah, devil meets devil. We have two incredibly obvious Bible references that I have to mention, mostly because they are explicitly in the IMDb trivia section. (laughs) And the last sentence in each just made it so hilarious to me. So number one, for dinner, Lucifer brings a souffle and puts it down on the table in front of God with the words, risen perfectly, just as you liked him. This is a reference to Jesus Christ, the central figure of Christianity, who is believed to have risen from the dead three days after being crucified before he ascended into heaven. Side note, most Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the incarnation of God the Son, the second of three persons of the Trinity. In popular culture, he is often portrayed as the literal son of God, which in the context of the show would make him Lucifer's half-brother. However, so far there have been no direct mentions of Jesus as a family member. Yeah, duh. I think I know the other one that you're gonna say, but this one, I did not connect souffle with Jesus. Are you kidding me? Risen perfectly just how you like that? It's so obvious. I thought that he is talking about risen as like he raised people. No, no. Like he raised his children perfectly, but actually doing a really terrible job. This is what I understood about risen perfectly. It's a very obvious Jesus reference. Well, I guess. I did not (laughs) see that. I have put too much thought into that. And the second one, after meeting God, Linda asks him, do you need a drink, water, wine, or is it all the same to you? She is referring to the transformation of water into wine, the first miracle attributed to Jesus Christ in the Bible. See, I caught that one. I would hope so. I mean, it is connected to alcohol, so... Ah, 
Okay. And finally, did you notice that the end credits have an In Loving Memory card? I did notice and I was hoping that you were gonna tell us who these two people are. So the names are Craig Charles Henderson and Arthur Melbourne Hooper. Arthur is Tom Ellis's grandfather, someone Tom Ellis loved very much and has been very vocal about. Hooper lived to be almost 100 years old and lived a very full life. He was loved by many and you can get a sense of that in a post on Instagram by Tom Ellis's sister Anwen. It is one that Tom himself actually commented on, noting how much their grandfather loved her and them. Tom had posted previously about his grandfather celebrating his 95th birthday on Twitter back in 2015. Unfortunately, Craig's connection to the crew isn't as clear. His name doesn't appear on the credit list provided by IMDb. His second name led some fans to believe that he was related to Joe Henderson. Craig only had a few followers on Twitter, one of whom was Joe himself. What's more, Craig almost exclusively tweeted about Lucifer. He predominantly used the social media platform to call on fellow fans to keep their eyes peeled for the latest Lucifer episodes and do everything in their power to help get the show renewed. Great last two standalone save Lucifer, great job Joe, is one of the tweets in 2018 May and never give up save Lucifer was one in June 2018 some of his tweets are specifically addressed to Joe which suggests that at least they were close even if maybe not related but that was all I could find out about him and that concludes this week's facts and funs it's a little sad note to finish this on well it goes well with the episode I mean yeah I guess so I'm just gonna pretend that a sad is not an emotion that I suffer from and get into the previously on Lucifer. Ella dated Pete, who turned out to be a serial killer. Mace is struggling with the fact that demons don't have a soul and teamed up with Michael. Michael is planning some weird shit that we still don't really understand. Also, he got done to see Lucifer's devil face. Linda and Ames have a kid who seems to be very human. Lucy and Chloe finally got together, but Lucy now struggles with naming his feelings. And Lucy, Ames, Mace and Michael engaged in an epic fight that brought God to Earth. And that is exactly where we pick up, because... Last episode was the mid-season finale. We got season five in two parts. Mm-hmm. So lots of speculation had been happening after Dad showed up. And I just need to say, God is wearing such grandpa clothes. It's absolutely hilarious to me. Such what? Grandpa clothes. Oh, grandpa clothes. Yeah, I guess so. And obviously we have instantly the dynamic between the kids. Michael blaming Lucifer, Lucifer blaming dad and Amenadiel instantly being willing to take on all the blame. I hate Michael. I hate the fact that the first thing he does is sucking up. It's so annoying and I I get really upset about the whole dynamic between them because yes, it makes sense and it's very obvious why it is this way but Michael is super annoying and then dad's approach of like oh but we are family so that means that we have to get along no matter what we do to each other and his I don't care who started it shut your face it is a very relevant who started it exactly if somebody's being nasty to you you don't have to stay there and take it just because you're related to them no this is not how how it should be working and this works for all of you people out there as well if your family member is nasty to you you don't have to take it you don't have to maintain connections with toxic people just because they are related to you. Ugh, first thing in the episode and made me so mad. And then Lucifer mentions something that's going to be brought up a few times and I think that we're going to talk about it at some stage in one way or another, that God is supposed to be omniscient. God should know better due to his... I know all! So I don't really understand why they're trying to even talk to him about this because he clearly knows what happens. If he decides to ignore it, that is his choice, but nothing's gonna change by them saying, yes, but you don't know what happened. He did this and that. No, he knows what happens. He just doesn't give a fuck. He's just a terrible, terrible, terrible father. I mean, he explicitly says he doesn't care who started it. He also goes and asks if that is his grandson, which he doesn't have to ask this question because he obviously knows it. All of this couldn't get any worse, but of course we had to cut over to Chloe 
who is all alone now in the storeroom. Poor, poor Chloe. And I'm kind of pissed at Lucifer because I get it that he is very much overwhelmed with his father coming to Earth. But to just forget about her and leave her there is a very shitty move. It is. I'm going to point out something that made me very happy in this scene and it has nothing to do with the story or our characters and it's the camera. (laughs) When God unfreezes the time, the way it is done, it's just really beautiful to watch. So I am sure there will be some more technical people who know details about this scene but it just made me so happy it just looked so pretty so yay positive thing (laughs) also the capacity of the human brain to explain weird shit always hilarious to me in this type of show oh this must have been a huge earthquake like yeah sure yeah but everything is still on the shelves and nothing has moved in the stock yeah so absolutely logical let's roll with it because the human brain will find a rational explanation so it doesn't have to actually believe in the supernatural. It's the same in basically all the shows, so I'm good and I can roll with it. We cut over to Lux, and before you go into our usual music cue, I have an IMDb fact, because I had not realized this. Lucifer has no scenes in Lux during the first half of season 5, only in the penthouse. Oh. This is his first appearance in Lux in those nine episodes. Interesting. Ames and Ben were at Lux, and Michael was at Lux, and Mace was at Lux, and everything. Yeah. And I tried to remember if there was anything with Lucifer in Lux, but it was always in the penthouse. No, you're right. I mean, they're right. This is one of these instances where I'm extremely grateful for the trivia section of IMDb, because this went completely completely passed me. So thank you, random person who put this information in IMDb. I did not catch that. Yeah. Well, let's get to the music side of this. We start this scene off with Lucifer playing on a piano. And I am so upset that this version of Footloose by Kenny Loggins is not on Spotify. So please, please, Lucifer people, get it up there, please. Do you mind? Put it on a fucking soundtrack. It's incredible. It's so good. Unfortunately, the soundtrack only includes songs from the cast from 5A. And then we're going to have, as I'm sure shouldn't be considered a spoiler, there's going to be a musical episode. So that's a separate album. So when we get to that one, we'll talk about that more. But yep, no other songs from the rest of the episodes of 5B are on Spotify. Maybe we will get them at due time. Eventually. Speaking of the piano being played with Footloose, remember that Lucifer made a promise to someone in the last episode? No, I don't, because it's been too long. In the last episode, he was talking to a security guard whose deepest desire was to become a dancer. And that security guard is the dancer who is seen in this scene, because when Lucifer talked to Freud, he said, I'll hire you and make your Footloose dream come true and so he did and he played the song Footloose and Froy is dancing to Footloose oh my god this is another level I love this Uh. so that was just fucking perfect because he is a devil of his word and he hired him to dance at Lux and he is indeed extremely literal when it comes to anything exactly so this is fucking perfect I absolutely adore this unfortunately the song comes to an end Chloe walks into Lux and a just a regular run-of-the-bill Lux song comes on called Walk It Out by Music Makers featuring Quinton Coblenz. I was very confused how Lucifer can look this sweaty and disheveled because he can't have been partying that long and usually his celestial stamina ensures that he doesn't look as partied out that quickly. So either he just partied the hardest he has ever partied because his father showed up, or they just forgot that regular drugs and alcohol and exertion doesn't affect him. I think it's just a whole dad issue. Daddy issue. So he probably drank a liquor store and consumed 10 kilos of coke or something. Probably. I I would not put it past him. But also... uh, I feel like normally he actually cares for his appearance and he was just so pissy at the situation that he just completely lost control. And that would actually somehow... With the self-actualization, it would work, yeah. Also, it would kind of explain a little bit how is it possible that he forgot about Chloe because this is something that was very 
weird to me in this scene because Chloe comes up to him and he talks to her like she knows what happened when the time froze. Yeah, I was very angry that he didn't say to her that his fucking father is on Earth. Idiot boy is all I say to him in this scene that he does not properly communicate. I understand it and given his family history and honestly the trauma we see reflected in his face and behavior and throughout this episode even all the way to the very end of his assumption that he comes to. It's very painful but I'm still very very sad and a bit angry that he doesn't talk properly with Chloe in the beginning. Because she's very supportive throughout this episode. She is, she is. I I was just gonna say that Chloe is being incredibly good to him. And you know what, I kind of get it because she is coming from a position where she knows him well enough by this stage to have a bit of a better idea of how to handle him. And she is approaching it as best as she can. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of perfect way of handling things we go over to Linda's and yes Vero is mimicking the poking Linda is surprisingly chill considering this all because just as he said she has met the devil she has had sex with an angel she gave birth to half an angel child she met the literal mother of creation she met Eve she met a demon so or several demons actually so yeah Obviously, now it's God. So I am very happy that she very quickly comes to a point where it's like, okay, this is just a dysfunctional family. She is incredible, though. It's so funny to see her react to pretty much everything. And it kind of shows how strong of a person she is. The way she kind of takes it in with a stride, but also we still get to see her reacting to the situation. It's not just, ah, oh, whatever, it's fine. And just, you know, nothing happened. There's still a reaction and the reaction is equal to what is actually happening. Also, her realizations throughout this episode were fucking hilarious. She is one of the best things about this episode, yes. The chicken realization at the dinner fucking brought me to laughing tears. It was so good. Not so good, sadly, is what a fucking dick God is. And I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep hating on the dude the entire episode. Same. Because he knows exactly what Amenadiel is desperate to know and what he worries about. And he's just absolutely ignoring it. And then he says, oh, the day-to-day is not important. This is family. It's like, no, it is. It is important because if we don't focus on the day-to-day and if we don't solve the day-to-day things, we will never be able to see the big picture. Also, Emmanuel worries that his son might be mortal, which makes it really, really super important to know because if his son is mortal, then they need to focus on the day-to-day because he has only a limited numbers of days. As an immortal, yes, you can look at the big picture, you can take your time, It doesn't matter if one day or a thousand days are fucked up because it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. As a mortal, you don't have that luxury. And as long as a manager doesn't know, he cannot do anything but focus on the day to day. Exactly. So fuck you, God. Yeah, this is also the scene when I had a note saying, can I say I hate God? He is so annoying. It's just so, so, so annoying. I thought it was later, but no, it's the same scene as you. God damn you. To stop the complaining, we go into the crime scene. And can I just say, I love that. It's so good. You should take the time off. No, you should take the time off. No, you... Well, at least Ella is taking that time off. And, and there she is. But Dan actually recovered quite fast, which makes sense to me because he had the report built up with Lucifer. And once he properly understood that the affection between Lucifer and Chloe is real, especially that the affection Lucifer has for Chloe is real and that he is not a danger to either Chloe nor Trixie nor the world, it made perfect sense to me that he now has come to terms with this. Yeah, I think definitely the dangers that came up in the last episode, the whole situation of Chloe's abduction and him having to work with Lucifer and Mace in order to get Chloe back, it helped with the shock, the intenseness helped with getting through it quicker. So this absolutely makes sense to me that Dan is just fine with it now. Also, he is canonically a very strong person. He was able to fight off Azrael's blade. He was able to fight off the desire power on the first try. So 
he has a strong soul. It makes perfect sense. It made me very happy. And then, of course, we go into, at least Ella is taking the day off. And there she is. And my heart fucking broke. Yeah. She really tries hard to get herself distracted from the fact. But unfortunately, a lot of pain is seeping through. And I am glad that they don't try to force her to go home. It made me incredibly happy because it feels like this is better support than we've seen from any of them in a really long time. And we're going to get back to it when we get to the scene in Ella's lab. With Dan and Ella. But the fact that they are there for her and that they are letting her do it her way, at least in some capacity, is giving me a bit of a hope for their relationships and for Ella and Ella being able to work through it in a way. Also that there is no arguing. She says, I need to be here and they say, okay. Because they understand because they're the same. They're going through the same thing even though it's not as intense or it might be different in details. But in general, all three of them went through trauma and should be taking time off to deal with it. But none of them wants to do that because they feel like it's more important for them to focus on work and helping other people. This is how they cope, by helping others. So it's fine. Exactly. Unfortunately, Ella then says, I know how to find the killer. Just introduce me to the suspects and whichever I'm the most attracted to is the killer. I love you very much, Ella. You deserve the world. Please do not let yourself seep into that hole. Please get some help. But the thing is, when you look at it a bit emotionally detached, this is actually a very good Ella quip if she meant it funny. The painful thing is that she is being genuine. Yes, that's kind of the thing, yeah. But it is in itself a very Ella thing to do. So her base personality is still there. I really appreciate the writing in this episode. So Joe, as usual, grand job. And then we have Lucifer watching from a distance. And that made me very, very sad as well. Because it felt it felt like he was being separate from the mortals. And his fucking father shows up. And my main issue with that was when he starts to go away, God puts his hand on his shoulder and stops him. And I'm just like, get your fucking hands off him. I was wondering for a second there because we see Lucifer's face as the hand touches him. I was wondering if there's any sort of um, power that God is using to actually make him stop. I just think it's the first time in many, many millennia that his father has actually touched him. That is very possible. I did not think of it that way, but you see Lucifer's face completely just changing. To me, it read as a shock that he was actually in shock that his father physically stops him from going away. Like, A, the we haven't touched in ages, but also the audacity to breach this boundary. Oh, for sure. We also come back to the fact that he is supposed to be all-knowing. And why is he even asking the question about the dinner if he knows what Lucifer's gonna say? Urgh. Frustrating. So God breaches not just physical boundaries, but he now tries for emotional boundaries as well with, oh, we want a dinner. And there is no family dinner with this dysfunctional family. I'm absolutely with Lucifer. It is utterly ridiculous that he would even ask. Exactly. And he storms off to join his actual friends, his actual family, which I was very much here for. That's a beautiful way to put that. Aww. So yeah, Lucifer goes and joins the team and Chloe is actually surprised that he's there which makes sense because she is convinced that it's her fault that Lucifer is being distant because she doesn't have all the facts obviously but then Lucifer immediately goes oh where's the family you know let's find out which one of them it is and she recognizes the projecting and I love that and I love that she decides to actually use that into her advantage because yes it's not the first time she's using Lucifer's obsession in order to help the case but this time she is also using it to help her relationship. She's using the case to help her relationship and not just her relationship for the case. That's well put. Yeah, it's so good. It makes me so happy. (laughs) And the happiest bit for me before the title card was when they both walk off and dad just stands there. I should have stayed home. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep, dad. Maybe it would have been better. Yeah, maybe it would have been better. And we get the title card at 1231, which 
keeps us still at the crime scene, but in a different part. And we just have so much paralleling here happen with all the family and the siblings and the father, which I thought the eldest brother was the father initially. Oh my god. It took me <laughs> way too long to realize that it was the three siblings and there was a fourth sibling because in my brain it was an exact parallel. So three kids and one dad. And I kind of assumed that the dead dude was already Lucifer stand-in. So I did not expect three siblings. I only expected two others for Amenadiel and Michael. So it took me way too long to realize that even re-watching, I forgot that the father's actually someone else. And I just want to point out that the hole-in-one pun hurts my soul. But Lucifer appreciates it very, very much. Mm, yeah, no, not even for me. To me, in this scene, it was so clear that the siblings do not have as peachy, beautiful relationships as they are trying to present. They're not very good liars. No, they're not. <laughs> then we have the graffiti and I'm like, it just doesn't seem realistic. Why would you sign your graffiti like this? So at this moment, I was convinced that somebody else from them graffitied the castle to blame Juan. And, you know, that's where I was. So we have a short moment of Lucifer's face and how unhappy he is about non-family related suspect. And then we go into Juan's hole. And the name is like a tiny soothing bit for Lucifer. He enjoys it. At least that. And we go in there with a song called Hype by Claire Windham. And the second Juan realizes that someone is there for him, he tries to run because they always try to run. I adore the fact that he tries to get away in one of those go-kart thingies and that Lucifer just straight up lifts the car and stops the wheel. That's only one way for the situation to have ended. If we were watching something else, they would get into the carts and start racing around. Yes. But because we are watching Lucifer, this is the only way this could have ended. I was gonna write down, oh, this is gonna end up either or, either they're gonna race or like, No, there's no way they were gonna race. He could also have thrown a tire at him, just like he did in the past. <laughs> I think he got tired. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's like a, such a great joke. And the other great moment is when Juan talks about the family war zone. I mean, come on! Maybe I will. Beautifully done. So many nice wordings and formulations and everything. Thank you, Joe. This episode was painful and great. Yes. Also, I feel like him lifting up the cart reminds me, do you remember the first time Chloe actually saw Lucifer exhibit his strength by holding the car up? With the light when his hand was bleeding and everything, yeah. Seems to be a bit of a... Callback. You know, yeah. Paralleling. Parallel. So many parallels. Parallel eye. <laughs> We go into the precinct and really, mini golf was all Chris knew. That poor, poor man. <laughs> How sad is your life when mini golf is all you knew? And I know, so I'm sounding so terribly judgy and I don't mean to be. And in a real life setting, I wouldn't be as judgy. But within the context of this show, yes, I am. But also, how sad your life would be if you didn't know mini golf. Like you. I know. My life, <laughs> is, I think we established today a few times already that my life is very sad. So we're going into the precinct. And the first thing we learn about our poor, deceased, dead sibling is that mini golf was all Chris knew. If in real life your obsession is mini golf, all the power to you, do what makes you happy. Within the show, I am judging Chris very, very harshly. <laughs> of course you are. You're the most judgmental person I know about fictional characters. Exactly. And then Lucifer words his opinion on his own family. And it's just a perfect, perfect sentence. He says, because his family was a dysfunctional heap of garbage who made his life a living hell. And it's just so excellent. It's so Lucifer. Thank you, Joe, for writing the way you do, because you you just get these characters. And there's a big appreciation train around here for Joe Henderson. Also, given other shows that recently, not that recently actually anymore, finished their run, family is hell. Very much so. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> so we finished the precinct scene quite quickly. It's not that long. And we go to Linda's. And I have to continue complaining about God. I kind of expected him to be more competent when cutting stuff. He seems very slow. <laughs> 
<laughs> he knows he has certain amount of time. He knows he's going to get it done. He's all knowing. Come on. He knows that he is getting a visit. And I'm assuming that this is why he arranged for the house to be empty. Yes, obviously. So Mace enters. In the kick-ass outfit. It's a beautiful outfit. Definitely noting down for a cosplay and god hands her a cocktail saying have your favorite drink and she's like it's not my favorite drink and then she takes a sip and the face of (laughs) mace is incredible as she goes like oh my god this is incredible oh no i can't let him know that i actually like this oh it's okay and then when turns around she just takes a massive gulp out of the glass leslie ann kills this it's so fucking good it's so funny do we want to put on a list of questions what is the cocktail god made oh yes please and i want to ask this actually leslie ann because i want to know what in her opinion would be in mace's favorite cocktail and she approaches god because he literally says you can now ask the question that you have come to ask again all-knowing he knows what she's gonna ask he knows what he's gonna tell her he knows how she's gonna react to it and yet here we are so she words the question i want you to give me a soul please she's so open so vulnerable so honest so oh my heart I love her in the scene so very much. And I hate him so much. Going with just the way you are, you're perfect. And what does it mean? The way I made you, I think. Does it so? Yeah, because apparently when, when she leaves, she goes like, you fucked up making demons. So either he made demons and then he meant you're perfect just the way I made you. Or he didn't make the demons and then he's not being genuine with the you're perfect just the way you are, in my opinion. I feel this could also be translated as you are you and because of your life experiences you are the way you are it's bullshit but this is just because he's not able to give one straight answer the entire episode and this this is what opens us into debating about interpretations and stuff like that oh he either means that or he could mean that or that this is exactly the problem but is he not able or is he not willing you keep saying like he's not able to say something specific and that's my question is he not able to say something specific or is he not willing to say something specific? That's a good question. I think that he's not willing. You could probably try to argue on his behalf and say, oh, but what if if he actually says specific things, it destroys the reality or whatever, some bullshit like that. No, he is deliberately choosing out of his own will not to say things the way he is asked to. I mean, the very easy explanation is that as soon as he says specific things, he interferes with the free will of humanity. That is the usual answer as to why God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, but also, for fuck's sake, she's not a human. Exactly, that's the thing. With Mace, this argumentation works only that far because if she actually gets a soul she would be closer to a human than a demon and then it would also apply to her. So maybe on the way of becoming more human, it means that you also have to be treated the same as a human. So there are ways to apologize for it, but I'm not having it. But I can play devil's advocate or in this case, God's advocate. Ooh. See, the thing is, you can always come up with excuses when it comes to these things. You can always... Yes, because I'm good. Not... Yes, you specifically, (laughs) but also you in general. Are you playing God and being non-specific? Anybody can come up with an excuse. It takes balls to come out right and say it honestly, which is what Lucifer does, which is what makes him so much better at being a person than God. Well, the thing is, he later at the dinner says that this is what he does when he doesn't want to answer a question. He answers in this vague way without actually answering. So he obviously learned from the best. (laughs) So this just proves that he is choosing not to answer the questions, you know? He has an agenda, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and he knows exactly what's gonna happen. Again, he is all-knowing. Okay, so enough God-bashing, because I think we are pretty much in agreement, so why waste so much time on the fucking dickhead? See, he's a dickhead, right in my notes. Because we are of one mind when it comes to him. Exactly. This is why we're taking so much time on him, because it's so rare that we actually agree on something that we're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Ooh, let's enjoy this. I disagree on that. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. No, so... Mace is very upset with him and 
as answer to the comment, you are perfect just the way you are, she turns around and we have an amazing effect on her face. I'm super, super impressed with the CGI in this episode. Super awesome. And she's like, still think I'm perfect. And my heart absolutely breaks for her because yes, I do think she's perfect because she has been growing and evolving so much. I am very, very proud of her and he can go sit on a fucking cactus. Yes. And I'm really glad that Mace is the first one next to Lucifer to actually tell God off because he fucking deserves it. And he should burn in hell. Well, funny I use that word because the next song in the episode that's gonna take us from this scene to the next is called Burn by Ashley Clark. Ooh, nice. I was very much confused why Lucifer is playing mini golf in the precinct. He's working on his putt game or short game or whatever you call that. I don't know. I don't play golf. I've never played golf. So, I mean, obviously I shouldn't be surprised because it's Lucifer. And while he plays, a minute eel shows up. And I feel that both of them are regressing into their season one behavior and their old habits. And Lucifer even calls him out on it. And then Amenadiel does so as well. And it makes sense because this is what having to interact with family and especially parents does to us. Mm -hmm. We tend to fall back into shitty habits. Yes, well, we fall back into our shitty behaviors that we used to do when we were children and didn't know any better. But yeah, I feel like the only person who's behaving somewhat a little logically is Lucifer because he is rightfully upset about father showing up like that and bear in mind Ames and Michael has been with dad in heaven for this whole time maybe he wasn't really around but they were in the same space however Lucifer hasn't seen him since the rebellion since he got kicked down to hell which is terrible so I think his behavior is absolutely justified yes no judgment on Lucifer from my part but this scene made me wonder is where where the fuck is Michael? He just disappeared after the first scene and we haven't seen him. And most importantly, what is he doing right now? No, 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 no. God tells us where he is. He sent Michael to Florence for truffles. Oh, true, true, true. I completely forgot about that. But that wouldn't take very long. I mean, angel wings are angel wings, but he still has to fly there. Eh. Okay, fine. He's in Europe. Good. Exactly. Maybe he gets distracted by the beautiful Europe. Okay. <laughs> But this scene is pretty straightforward. However, we go into the next bit of the precinct and we go into Ella's lab. I am very appreciative that Dan is trying to connect with Ella. Yes. Fucking finally, someone is taking time and interest. Yes. And what he says to her is absolutely beautiful. But it was too long for me to write down word for word, so I didn't. He is being incredible friend. And God, I love Dan. I didn't know I was going to say that two years ago. But I love Dan. He is an incredible character. He's an incredible friend. He's the best of been by far. He brings his own trauma that is somewhat related to Ella's. And the way they communicate, it's just so beautiful to watch. The way he tells her to not let this basically diminish her light because she brings so much love and joy out into the world and it would be a horrible loss if the rest of the world basically lost this. But we have to continue with this. I don't have much to say actually for the rest of the scene, neither for the interrogation nor for the dad showing up, except that I fully agree that Peter Peterson is an amazing name. <laughs> yeah, Chloe brings Lucifer to the interrogation and she is being extremely open with the fact that she is using Lucifer's obsession to solve this case and solve her relationship and everything. So I I actually really appreciated that. I think Lucifer also appreciated that honesty. She was just a bit confused at the beginning. <laughs> just like, what? But no, she's absolutely correct. And about uh, midway through the scene, when we're about to go to the interrogation, we get a song by Golden Face called I Think I Like You. I just, we've seen this on the show a few times before, the way they cut up the interrogation and create the sentence, we are one big happy family, and they couldn't possibly be less convincing when they say it. It's just so well done. Every single one of the children is just, and all the actors are doing a great job. They're so well annoyed, and they're such a great bunch of backstabbers. It's so funny to me. And then... The father comes in and I was just very suspicious. And yes, Peter Peterson may f seem like a good name for some. Oh, it's just like, meh, whatever. But <laughs> he comes in, confesses and leaves me with a suspicion that there might be a little bit more to the case than we know. It was very obvious to me that it is not him because it was obvious to me that Lucifer was going to believe him instantly due to his own daddy issues. And then that it would like continue to resolve 
somehow with the, oh, it wasn't the father after all. Mm-hmm. But now, the big scene is coming up now. The dinner is coming. And oh my god. We're gonna start it off with a song. And this one gets a little bit more complicated than it usually does because as it happens from time to time, this song has not been released to the public, as it is. It's called Don't Mess With Me, and it is performed by Emily Wolf. However, Emily Wolf did release an album this year with a song called No Man, which is in a slightly different pitch, has a few different lyrics to it, but essentially it's pretty much the same song. It's a little bit slower paced as well. So I have decided to put that one on the playlist instead, just so we get something. And you know what? It's close enough. If we ever get the actual song, we can just switch it out. Switch it out or add it to the playlist. Why not? It's just... Don't Mess With Me is more highly paced and more fitting for the scene. So I would assume that they may have heard No Man and asked her for a little bit more upbeat version that would fit the scene a little bit more. So there we go. It's time for family dinner. Amenadiel with Linda, the both of them seem so tense and I totally get it, obviously. They sit down, Michael starts spewing his bullshit with, oh, Lucifer, you know how he is. And then, of course, on the perfect timing, Lucifer comes in, sorry I'm late. And he brought souffle, risen perfectly, just how God likes it. See, at this stage with the all-knowing shit, obviously God knew that Lucifer was going to show up and he just didn't, you know, let it on that he knows. But at this moment, I was trying to understand how you go through your existence knowing everything that's going to happen and how you interact with humans or uh, beings around you. And the only comparison that I could figure out is it's like when you're performing a play. You know the outcome as the actor. You know what's going to happen, what who's going to say exactly, word by word, but you're not supposed to know, so you pretend that you don't. You still go through every single detail of the emotion and situation that is happening around you, even though you know the outcome already. So this is the closest that I got to understanding what being all-knowing feels like. So I just wanted to put it out there because it was such a struggle for me throughout this episode that I wanted, if anybody else is going through the same thing, I wanted them to have the idea that kind of helped me a little bit. Fair enough. Lucifer comes in and he slowly drags the chair away from Michael and that gave me fucking life. That was so, so well done. And he sits down. Linda puts down the bottles and goes, Ah, a little alcohol with family. Helps things get started. And she tries to get out. And she nearly makes it. As Amenity comments later on. She nearly makes it. But only just. Because she is obviously family as well. Because she is the mother of God's grandson. Ah, to be only defined by the fact that you spawned an offspring. No wonder I don't like the dude. Right? So she has to sit down and she even ends up having to say grace. And her prayer is so fucking perfect. It's so Linda. Thank you for napkins. Yeah. Ah, Linda is so amazing in this. So they start eating. So there's two little technical things that were a little bit weird to me. One comes right now. So they do the thing where the camera goes around the table and Michael misses Lucifer. He passes him over with the chicken and hands it to Linda. I don't understand why Linda doesn't give it Lucifer then. Because she is doing everything to go with the flow. To not make waves, ruffle feathers. She is trying to keep the peace as much as possible. But then Lucifer doesn't have food. There is enough other food. Yeah, but chicken is the main course. Lucifer isn't here for the food and she knows that. Ah, well, I don't know. It just didn't really make sense to me. To me, it was like, oh, technically it looks better when they kind of go on with the continuous motion of the camera. So I kind of chalked it up to that. Also, she and Amenadiel are very much engaged in nonverbal communication. Because he is actually very, very supportive of her in this scene, which I really appreciated. Of course. The fish lens continues, which I agree is a weird technique. I get that it was needed to have the single point anchor so that it can turn around. Because otherwise we wouldn't have had 
the totals of the faces, the full frontals. Not a biggest fan of this, but I get why they used it. Conversation continues, and it is said that we all regress in dad's presence, and I felt very much confirmed, because that is literally what I was saying a few scenes earlier, that they all regress back into their bad behavior. So, I like it when the writing mirrors my thoughts. I know. Especially when it's written by Joe, because Joe is just so smart. That means that you're smart. Obviously. And because siblings are the worst to each other, when God I think calls Lucifer Samael and Michael chimes in Lucifer goes with Mikael Makael because it's supposed to rhyme and Michael is very upset about that which I found hilarious because how can you be on the one side be disrespecting someone's chosen name and then be not surprised that your own preferred pronunciation of a name also gets ignored it's not that hard just call people what they wanna be called period so we get this whole name debate and you know god could have just not push that debate uh, further by saying oh this actually has a really nice ring to it he is antagonizing him it feels like he's doing it on purpose like a lot of this feels like he's doing it on purpose and lucifer gets eventually fed up and he starts naming out everything that happened and yeah it just turns out that everything is even shittier than i remember and michael is even shittier and worse than i remember and they get into a massive fight lucy and michael and Lucifer deserves answers. They all deserve some answers. They get into a moment where they just stare at each other and he starts yelling, you petty little shit. He doesn't actually finish the shit because God intervenes and and stops the debate. But this is like the best nickname for Michael ever. Just he is a petty little shit. But also Michael has a really good point. When your brother is the light bringer, you have no choice but to live in the shadows. He is not wrong about that as well. Because before the fall, Lucifer, at least in most of the incarnations, is God's favorite son. So I do understand that this is an issue for Michael to be second in everything to your twin and if your twin is like literally the brightest star you are gonna develop a certain kind of inferiority complex and since angels self-actualize like lucifer says you have a chip so big you manage to make it physical on yourself also when they're staring at each other and standing it seems to me that michael is shorter than lucy because he is slightly hunched they're standing so still even when he has a twist in his shoulders so that was a very interesting vision and speaking of visual, in the background you constantly have Linda and Amenadiel chugging the wine. Mostly Linda, but Amenadiel as well, which I just found fucking perfect. And before we go to the Old Testament wrath, I just want to point out that I am very appreciative that Lucifer asked why is there no more warden needed in hell? Yeah, absolutely. And even though Lucifer calls it Old Testament wrath, I mean, come on, no one has died yet and that would be Old Testament wrath. That is very fair. <laughs> It feels like God knew this was going to happen. He seemed surprised about the development of the situation, which was like, what? I read him more as exasperated. Maybe that. Everyone settles down again. We sit down and Linda just slightly loses it and starts laughing because she just made the perfect realization that because chicken is God's favorite, everything tastes like chicken. And I'm sorry, this is absolutely my fucking favorite moment of the entire episode because it's so fucking funny. And then Amenadiel is like, oh, this must be all like so weird to you. And then Linda goes like, no, actually, this is wonderfully normal. Linda is very good at just taking everything as it comes. And honestly, Linda is the best thing that could have ever happened to this family. Oh, absolutely. But she also has a really good way of taking their supposed so special problems and put them in a regular context and kind of make them realize your problems are just that, problems. And we can actually deal with problems. But before we have a chance to enjoy more of her very subtle family management that she is doing here, Lucifer basically snitches on a manadiel that a manadiel called God an ass. And um, Ames tries to go back on that. And that is when Lucifer does something very, very mean, but also very, very perfect. Because he uses Charlie to make it abundantly clear that Amenadiel is a much better father than God is to them. And D.B. Woodside, his face, when he tries to figure out a way how not to come completely clean 
towards his father and then going like, I'm sorry, father, but I wouldn't. Like, I, I hope I wouldn't. Just really hurt me because it's like the absolute hope and need to still please his father, but also the utter love he has for his son. And he is literally willing to do everything, anything for his child. And so this leads to the worst possible question that Lucifer can ask because he knows his father will not give them a right answer. And this is why he asks it. And so now I'm going to give over to you. Yeah, it turns out that I was so taken by the scene that I made notes and then I misinterpreted the notes now. So yeah, just to me, the fact that they know that their father is all-knowing and they're even trying to hide, or Emmanuel was trying to hide, that he called him an ass. It was just so weird to me because he is fucking all-knowing. He knows what Emmerino said. But it's a very human reaction to kind of try to, even though the person knows what you said, you kind of tend to soften the bow. But then Lucifer brings up the big question and that's something that's gonna play into the rest of the episode as well. He asks Dad, do you love us? It was so painful when he asked that. It is a simple yes or no question. And I understand that emotions can be complicated and whatever. But if it's a parent and a child... There is only one acceptable answer. And that is, of course, I do. It should not be a question even. No, but the thing is, you can ask your parents this question. But there is only one acceptable answer. And that is, of course, I do. Nothing else. There's literally no other acceptable answer. Yes, exactly. The same way as I'm saying yes now, he should have said yes at the time. And because he doesn't, and the way Lucifer says, this is what I do when I don't want to answer the question. And if you don't want to answer, that means that you don't want to say no. It's impeccable logic. Also, he makes it even worse, I feel, God, because he phrases his non-answer in a way that implies blame if you even have to ask this. As if the audacity to ask this question in any way is negative. It's like, oh, come on, I show you love all the time, even though he knows that he doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing. Like He makes it very clear that the inability of his son or sons to see his love is their shortcomings and not his. And I hate that because that is putting the blame where it does not belong. So, fuck him. Fuck him. I hope that he... Whatever. I just don't want to think about him anymore because he is terrible father. He needs to sit on the biggest possible cactus and take a spin. I feel so, so sorry for mostly Lucifer, but honestly also for Amanda and Michael. Yeah, of course, because it is even said in the scene, there is a reason why they are the way they are. And it's not just their doing. Yes, obviously they did a lot of that to each other or to themselves, but it all started somewhere. It all started by them trying to fight for someone's love and the love was never there. Is this also the scene where we have the tree-apple comparison? Because that is basically it. If all the apples are rotten, then maybe something is wrong with the tree. This is a very well put metaphor. If the one common thing they all have is him maybe there is an issue with him obviously so my heart breaks mostly for lucifer then a lot for amenadiel and even a tiny bit for michael because yes he is a fucking asshole but also he had to grow up with this as a father and supposedly he has a very close quotation marks relationship with him so i'm actually not surprised he turned out as shitty as he did before we move into the next scene i need to do a continuity error i was just gonna say that yeah and it's because of the fisheye that they were doing i'm assuming the way they they're placed the thing lucifer walks off and it before he walks off he takes off his tie and as he's walking away he throws the tie into the plate with the chicken however when then we cut to the view off the table the tie is between the chicken plate and michael's plate yeah it's right next to yes it's not actually on top of the plate it's a simple continuity error happens but we tend to notice these things So this scene just ripped out our hearts and stomped on them and then slowly gave the hearts back. I have nothing for the next scene except obviously it's not the father. Because A, nothing happens and B, I needed time to recover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair. Yeah, in the next scene it's pretty much just, ooh, let's chase the person who definitely did or maybe did not do it. Who knows? That is me on that scene. But then pretty sure that the precinct scene is the next day because now there's light outside again and dad and Ames are doing the dishes and they finally start talking about Charlie and this is the big elephant that was in the room no pun intended (laughs) 
for this entire episode. And I'm kind of sad, or at the beginning of the scene, I was kind of sad again for Amenadiel for calling being human uh, painful and describing it as suffering. But the way then he kind of goes on into, please let me trade place with him. I want to be the one who dies. It shifted my perspective a little bit on this because, of course, he is a father. He wants to protect his child from everything bad that can happen. And that, in his eyes, includes death. Although we could debate the fact that then Charlie would probably go to heaven and then spend eternity in heaven. But the thing is that Amenadiel has no way to influence where Charlie ends up. And if something bad happens to Charlie that might lead him down a bad path, quotation marks, and he gets stuck in hell, there will be nothing that he can do to save him from that. So the safest way to keep Charlie away from basically eternal suffering after having spent a mortal life is to trade places with him. Yeah, to make sure he never actually dies. So yes, as much as I was a bit hesitant about Amenadiel's approach at the beginning of the scene, I finally am starting to see a little bit better where this is coming from. And I'm really glad for that explanation that the show has given me and that you know dad is just being a, a really shitty father again so you know here we are there's no yes or no there's no definitive answer there is just a vague oh well it appears so if he is human he will die yeah but is he funnily enough this conversation concludes with a michael showing up and being like, well, dad, are you ready to fuck off to heaven now? And the most concrete thing God says in the entire episode is when he is sending Michael to heaven, when he tells him, you are no longer welcome. And that is the most explicit, concrete thing he says in the entire episode, which I get why Michael goes, you're banishing me? Because that's the thing. When God says something specific, it apparently never is a good thing. So maybe it's a good thing for us that he doesn't say specific shit. Maybe he's keeping his distance because of that reason, yes. Maybe that's the downside of being all-knowing and all-powerful that all you actually say is bad. It's like, hey, you get to be all-knowing and all-powerful, but every time you make a concrete statement something bad is gonna happen oh god oh i mean uh oh no (laughs) you made me sympathize with god i hate you god i hate you that's my job but yeah we end up this scene with michael leaving and god for some reason and i know this is supposed to be a throwaway phrase but he asks ames if he has a futon and i'm like but god doesn't sleep why would he need a futon? We don't know if he sleeps or not. That's the thing. We don't know anything. Because maybe maybe the bad things in the world exist because God sleeps. Well, you know, uh, this would indicate that he does sleep. So uh, here we are. At least he wants a resting place to lay down his head if he actually sleeps or not is another question. On the seventh day, he can rest on a futon. See, so he rests, but we don't know if he sleeps. But another thing he says is see never easy obviously referring to being a father and i'm sorry no being a dick is never easy that is true being a father in this context actually would have been so fuck off go away let's go back to the case because peterson actually is a decent dad if you put it that way yes if you put it into a comparison direct comparison yes seriously come on compare between god and peterson peterson was willing to take the rep for one of his kids unknowing which one of them did it because they're his children and he is their father and he is willing to sacrifice himself for them and then when he finds out that actually fucking Becky is the one who killed his son he goes into revenge mode which is also understandably because he loved his son indeed yeah there is a whole kind of ending to the case there and it's a bit sad I feel very sad for Becky because imagine that you accidentally set your boyfriend on fire yeah I mean kill them by accident that you know you get into a misunderstanding and you push them and they fall and they're dead they're just dead yeah but she premeditated the property destruction so my empathy for her is much lower than if they had just had an unplanned argument and someone stumbled and fell down the stairs and broke their neck very different and then Becky mentions the apple and no Lucifer mentions the apple and tree again and he realizes something and we pocket that realization I was very very upset because I remembered I forgot several things about this episode but I remembered what his realization is from this scene and his face is very obvious that it is not a good realization it is not 
We go into the penultimate scene, which is back at Lux, so I assume we get a song. There is a song called Golden Glide by Elias R. and Sage Armstrong. I have only two things to say about the scene, which is props to the bartender who doesn't even flinch when Mace smashes the glass next to him. Fair. I assume he's used to it. Exactly, I was gonna say. But still, I'm pretty sure I would still flinch even if I was used to it. So props to the bartender. And I was surprised that Michael is being halfway decent to Mace here. Yeah, and I am very, very mistrustful about that. So I'm very curious where this will lead because with his parting words, it is obvious to me that he is not done and he will come back. But I I do not believe that he has anything more to gain from Mace because she now knows that she will not get a soul because he offered her the audience with his father and she got the shithead answer. And there is nothing else that she actually wants. And so I cannot imagine that she would again help him against Lucifer or anything because in her hearts of hearts, she loves Lucifer. I'm very curious why he is being halfway decent to her. If it's really just because he hates her the least of all the people he interacts with or as is there another reason? So I'm, I'm curious. Hmm. I don't know. I would be very much on the side of he is trying to not burn that bridge because he knows that Mace can be handy in the future to him. This is just because I fucking hate him and I do not trust the word that comes out of his mouth. Now that we have dead, my hatred for Michael is diminished by my utter disdain I have for his father. That's fair enough. I still hate him and I still don't trust him and I want to punch him in the face and I was really, really hoping that Mace would do that. But unfortunately, she didn't. Final scene final song. Before we get into the song I just wanted to note that this is a Christmas decoration, right? I believe that you have mentioned that in the Lucifer timeline we were in like September, so there either was a time jump or something. I don't remember exactly. Alright, timeline says Pete and Ella meet August 2nd, go on a date August 3rd, he gives her the key to his place August 6th, Ella finds the lilies on August 7th. And this has to be shortly after, which would make this earliest the mid or end of August. Yeah. Latest it could be would be September and unless there is a all year long Christmas tree in LA, which I'd be surprised about. Dear American listeners who might know that, please let us know. Yes, I would be interested to know. However, we do have the last song of the episode and it is the song that I was talking about in my Devils in the Music very briefly. It's called Moved by Laces, which is an artist. It's a woman who sings this song, calls herself Laces in this project. So it is an incredible song. It's very much heartbreaking. It has nothing to do with masturbation, definitely. This makes sense once you listen to the Devil's in the Music. But it just embraces the rest of this episode and it's beautiful. And the scene starts so hopeful because it starts with Chloe paralleling herself in a very humorous way. She's incredible. She's the best. We have this glimpse of, oh, maybe this heartbreaking, painful episode is gonna end on a light note. Alas, no. I remember watching the trailer for 5B. Did we watch it together? Yes, we made a video of it, my dear. Yeah, we watched this and there is a reaction video that we put on our Patreon as well. The video itself was only for patrons. The audio was available for everybody. Our reaction to it just afterwards. But you can definitely listen to it there as well. However, I remember when we saw this and we saw Lucifer in the trailer say, if I ever say those words to you, it would be a lie. We just went completely like, that's not definitely gonna happen immediately. This is never, this is terrible. And we just got so mad. Yes. <laughs> I remember being so happy seeing the scene set up when I actually watched 5B because I was like, I know for a fact that this is the background that he has when he says those words. That means that they're gonna get it out of the way now and then they're gonna have the rest of season five to make it up to each other. So while I was very upset with this numerous of times, every single time I watch it, <laughs> I'm also very hopeful because while he says that now, we still have plenty plenty of time to fix that and to make him understand that that's not true, Lucifer. You are worthy of love. 
you are able to love and you are Decker star for fuck's sake. Also, the thing is, if he truly wasn't able of love, he would not suffer this much thinking he's not able of love. And you know what? I believe that he believes it. As he says, he never lies. He truly, truly believes that this is the case. Which makes it even worse. <laughs> yeah, and I hope and I have a great hope for Chloe that she's gonna see that this is not true because the way he treats her his actions show his love constantly and I mean Chloe didn't meet his father this episode but apparently dad is sticking around so it is only a matter of time until she meets him and Chloe is a fantastic parent and Dan is a fantastic father they were not the perfect couple but as parents these two are brilliant so I fully expect Chloe to charmfully explain to God how to parent let's put it that way that's very well put so that is my full expectation and I assume that when she explains to God how to father Lucifer might learn a bit or two about his dad himself and their relationship and then we'll be able to extrapolate that hey maybe just because my father is not capable of expressing his love properly doesn't mean that I'm incapable of expressing love properly so that is basically my expectation but in this second my heart breaks for Lucifer because this is a very classic thing the sins of our parents the inabilities of our parents being passed on to us that because we lacked certain things growing up or even as a grown-up from our parents, we are either incapable or have such a harder time to do these things ourselves to others. So this is a very common thing. And that is why I'm also very optimistic that uh, with Linda's and Chloe's help, he is going to be able to work through this. All in all, my poor heart. It breaks for Ella. It breaks for Lucifer. It breaks for Chloe. It also hurts for Amenadiel. It hurts for Mace. It hurts for Dan. I really appreciated that fucking finally someone, aka the bestest being Dan, takes some time and interest in Ella. His words are fucking perfect. Thank you again, Joe, for writing this episode. As I have made abundantly clear, I hate God with a fiery passion. And I am with Lucifer every single step of the way when it comes to the absolute disdain he has for his father. Manipulative, vague, arrogant asshole. Linda dealt with all of this in exactly the way I expected her to, and it was utter brilliant. Let's see when or if the joy returns for and to our favorite characters. So we went through a lot in this episode. We have picked up exactly where we left off and we met a new character that we hated, hated, hated. So this to me is a great opener for the second <laughs> half of season five. You make a good point, yes. <laughs> because no, we're, we're putting to bed the hatred or you are putting to bed the hatred towards Michael, in a sense. We have bigger fish to fry. <laughs> we have bigger hate to challenge. Uh, but yeah, it certainly feels that Michael finished his plan in some way, even though I still think that there's going to be more to it and he has alluded to it as well. We are not done with him just yet. But we have now a new person to hate and it is dad and we have hated him for a very long time and it's finally nice to hate him in person because <laughs> that's just something that we didn't get a chance to do we hated mom we hated a lot of other people a lot of siblings well i hated mom you didn't because she's brilliant i mean i hated her but i love trisha so here we are however they are not the only ones in this episode as you mentioned, Ella is in a lot of pain and I'm really, really happy that Dan is there for her. And I hope with this and this type of setup that we've gotten for Ella, we will get more of her in the future. We will get more of her struggle. We will get more of screen time and it's just gonna satisfy a little bit of our curiosity about the character. And regarding Linda, you pretty much said it all. She's been absolutely excellent in the reaction and everything. Mace dropped the aggressive bit towards Lucifer. She didn't really interact with anybody aggressively this time. So again, I agree with you. My heart breaks for her and her situation. However, again, this is gonna be a great start to something in her future, I hope. So yeah, as you said, there is a lot of hurt, there is a lot of heartbreak, but it's a beginning of something beautiful, I hope. There fucking better be. <laughs> and with this, we say thank you for listening. 
please find us on our various social media. We love interacting with you either over there or when you send us emails to lucifer at taot-podcast.com. If you want to get even more personal and have secret chats with us on our exclusive Discord server, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash taotpodcast. We have a whole bunch of different rewards such as early release, merch and hours of bonus content. Yes, hours. If that sounds like too much pressure, you can help the show by leaving positive iTunes reviews. They really help. Or telling all your friends about us, because nothing beats a personal recommendation. Thank, Thank you. you! Bye! Bye.